Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I'm your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike on the line as well. Happy 2023. Uh, we're starting hot in the new year. I'd like to apologize in advance for my performance in this upcoming podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think we both kind of have the faces from that smile movie right now <laughs> as we're recording. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because we're, we, had, we had some, you know, some, some crazy holiday season. <laughs> Both of us, I guess, right? Family is a burden. (laughs) You had real drama. I had all manufactured and silly nonsense. But uh, no, uh, I'm definitely glad to be back doing this. Uh, We got a million movies to review today, a couple stories, and a Sundance preview that we were putting off for a while that I'm glad we can attack finally. I am interested to hear you go off on on the good people of Sundance. I, uh, I'm a little weirded out about what they're doing, so yeah. I, I don't know how much money I'm going to waste is the question. And I prob- now Haven't you already wasted money? I already wasted $350, yeah. and, I, right. and should I waste another 200 that I'm not going to put on Top Gun Maverick to win Best Picture? I, I was just going to say, like, I have bets that you can put that money on I instead. I could have done that much, yeah. and I yeah. didn't. I don't know. Mm. Anyway, well, that's all to come. We can uh, a lot of financial decisions that are affecting also Mike's wallet having to do with Sundance. And that's in the uh, latter part of this episode. We do have a bunch of movies to review. We have some movie news as we have another the first Oscar race checkpoint of 2023 as we are staring, staring down the road to the Golden Globes, which is just on the horizon here. But uh, before we talk about award stuff, let's start with the blockbuster type news that kind of swept up film, Twitter and the Internet in general yesterday. Yeah. Is Aaron Taylor Johnson going to be the next? James Bond apparently no all right next story (laughs) (laughs) apparently he had a movie with Barbara Broccoli uh, a movie or a meeting and Mm -hmm. uh, that report that reportedly went well Uh, this is news to me Michael this follows up a meeting where Broccoli had with Tom Holland to pitch for a young James Bond however many moons ago I don't know when this happened so I guess it's down to Holland and Aaron Taylor Johnson, at least in the press. Two men that are the same stature, that do the same roles. I like that, like, right now in Hollywood, no one can think of any young actor other than Tom Holland, too, by the way. Mm -hmm. Like, he's just the guy. He's the guy. Timothy Chalamet's got to be furious about Tom Holland. (laughs) Timothy Chalamet and Tom Holland have a longstanding feud. (laughs) There's no doubt in my mind. I agree with you. It's the uh, only, I, only thing you and I agree on. but Right, exactly. I don't, like, I, I said this on Twitter as much, too. Isn't Aaron Taylor Johnson, I know Ian Scott Yeager was going back and forth with me. He's right, like, he's not, you know, a, a conventional household name at this point, I would argue. I agree with that. But he's also not where Pierce Brosnan was in the early 90s with his career, or Daniel Craig was in the early 2000s with his, like, James Bond, as we did the whole James Bond character study, is usually a character actor that's tabbed coming off the stage and has like maybe some success in tv maybe some success with some movies but isn't really a frontline he's not like the second or third lead in a brad pitt summer blockbuster is my point 
Well, we did do a character study on this, and I would say in a general sense, you are correct, even though there have been a few exceptions, like a TV, mm-hmm. TV star would become a, you know, a James Bond in the, in the, or in the early 80s. But look, I, I do think he's a little more famous, but at the same time, what he's done lately is kind of similar to what Daniel Craig was doing lately before he got tabbed. Because Daniel Craig was in Road to Perdition. Layer Cake was a big deal. At least it was back in the day to my college ruffians that I used to hang out with. Yeah. And Aaron Taylor Johnson's kind of doing like a starring role here a couple years ago. Was that 2016 movie with all the naked people jumping on trampolines to start the movie? What was that? Are you talking about Nocturnal Animals? Nocturnal Animals. (laughs) Remember that one? Not how I would describe that movie, but that okay. That was the opening of the film. Naked people. I don't remember. On I'll take you. I, 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 I'll how really, do you forget I that? I don't remember. I just don't. I just do not remember. The that. most boisterous opening. I'm thinking of the man show right now with girls on trampolines. You immediately pulled the title's name, whereas I'm sitting here like, it was a movie I saw four years ago. I only seen a thousand. More than a Jesus, Mike. More than a thousand movies since I'm since I'm averaging yeah. like five hundred a year total, and then three hundred a year new. I don't oh, know. I need a life. I don't know. No, never going to get impressive. one. But look at Aaron Taylor Johnson, slightly more famous than other Bonds, perhaps. I agree with you there. But I mean, look at Swell was all over him in the last episode, right? So yeah, he's, I mean, I think everybody would be like he does have sex appeal, and it's it's an easy sell, and he does do action movies already. I don't think it'd be a big leap for him. Is he, I, I mean, he'd be a believable Bond. Is he a believable non-bearded Bond? Or is, is this going to be the bearded Bond? Mm. <laughs> That's a <laughs> very important... Ever. The big crossover. That the, will be the big, the big innovation. I, shouldn't it just just give it to a woman? Uh, like, aren't we at this I point? I understand the Broccoli gonna, family's... Com- yeah, and they like, I get it. I they when Barbara Broccoli said that it should it'll be a man and just give it to a woman for a couple movies. Who cares? She said it'll be a British man. I think. I mean, we've and I guess Aaron Taylor Johnson is in fact British, which was news to me. During, that was going to be my next question during Bullet Train rewatch. I looked it up and I was like, oh, he is British, and I didn't know because he became kind of famous with Kick Ass, which was an American film where he, he was yep. convincing as an American teenager there. And that's what I mean. Like, Kick-Ass was a studio blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Bullet Train was a studio blockbuster. Nocturnal Animals got him a BAFTA nom. Like, this isn't the resume of Daniel Craig pre-Bond, who was in, I think I cited, like, other than Layer Cake, the second most famous Truman Capote biopic, you know? Like, not the one that won the Oscars, but the one with Toby Jones as the lead. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I'm just saying Daniel Craig, you know, look, if Daniel Craig was... uh in the Mike Mike and Oscars in what what year was it? Two thousand and six. He mm-hmm. would have he would have gotten nominated for uh, Layer Cake, and then he would have gotten nominated for supporting actor in uh, The Road to Perdition. I, I'm just stating facts here. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Subjective just... facts that only I care about. I don't because it's my made up award. I don't show. even know why I'm so against this. Like, why are you like, against it? I He's like got... Aaron Taylor Johnson. I think he would be yeah. a fine Bond. He's cool. I don't Guys know. like it just him. Rose me like the wrong him. way. I just don't, it's just like, oh, I didn't think of that, so I don't want it to happen. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Well, we thought we were just having a fun little uh, appetizer. Instead, we just landed on something that probably Deep tells dive you. into a psychiatric issue. <laughs> 
probably tells you a lot. Mm -hmm. All right. So at least we don't have anything controversial to talk about next because we're all behind (laughs) this box office update where Avatar The Way of Water... Again, yeah. uh, no controversies whatsoever with this This is podcast. a good place for me to preface that I did no prep work for this episode because <laughs> I've been going through it in my personal life. Uh, I, I've got all kinds of family drama yeah. going on. That's separate from the holidays. The usual family drama holiday edition. Anyway, yes. um, let me let me say this. I'm shooting from the hip on all these opinions. I don't believe the Avatar numbers whatsoever. <laughs> you don't believe... So you are the... The uh, box office truther here. You are I'm the, Alex. I'm going full Alex Jones on the uh, you are Avatar box office. Conspiracy theorizing <laughs> well, that what? Avatar has not made 1.4 billion in worldwide box office after 17 days. Either it isn't actually doing that, or it. I'm right in saying it's the most bland, predictable movie ever made. Because, like, has anybody had... I'm sure there's going to be tons of people, if they listen to this, be like, yes, I have. And I know I'm wrong. And, again, this is mostly facetious on my part. But I have not seen the bluster and the conversations and, like, the deep think pieces in the media or conversations on Twitter or conversations in my real life. Like, nobody is talking about this movie, I feel like. It's really weird for there to be a movie that's done one and a half billion dollars in, like, two weeks and have this little... con. Avengers Endgame was everywhere. It was inescapable. Yeah. You, you want to know what I feel Avatar like? The first Avatar was everywhere. Can, can, can we get into what I feel like, please? Go ahead, please. Because yeah, ahead. I feel like you are doing uh, Will Ferrell-styled interpretive dance, like a mat routine in <laughs> gymnastics like you did in old school. I feel like you're doing that on the edge of the mountain in Black <laughs> Panther that they're looking off and I feel yeah. like you're just really into it. You're just really <laughs> into it, and you're and you're forcing me to like join you in this. And I I don't want to be on the lunatic fringe of the. You avatar. don't have to be conflicted. You don't have to like. You don't have to. We don't need the scene where Anakin decides between the light and the dark side. You can I, just go to the dark side. I and join feel me. like I've went far enough on this opinion. I like even when we reviewed the movie for the first time, I was like, I thought I was being bold. And saying that I also did not enjoy the movie that much, The Way of Water. Uh, And I thought I was just, oh my god, I'm going out of a limb. Here we are, two big heavy guys standing out on a tree limb, probably going to fall and break and everybody going to laugh at us. But that's okay, we're together in this. Uh And then you got to be just like, just... Going off and and Every and doing Avatar cartwheels. Patron is a crisis actor type. Yeah, I, but Mike, I'm making sense. No, you're not. You're making sense. Have you, you seen people talking about this movie? Everybody at my Christmas holiday pretty much asked me about the way of water, and I was like, I think you should just go to the aquarium instead. But okay, you, asked you about it in what context? They're As like, in, should I wanna... see it? Should I see right. it? Right. So they haven't seen it, is what you're saying. They have. <laughs> Not my family, I guess. But everybody's there going to see Avatar The Way of Water, and obviously film Twitter is just, you know, jumping out the window over it. They love it. Most people listening right now probably love that movie. No? Because most people, well, most people saw it. Most people paid their good money to see it. Yeah. I, I mean, the numbers say they did anyway. <laughs> the numbers that big box office media (laughs) put out there i just don't see the the excitement for avatar for a two billion dollar property come on i don't see it anywhere you're you're not even curious about the seed bearer box office potential well uh, let me ask you this though what do you Uh, think 
even if it's dry heaved in my mouth, <laughs> even if it's fake projections and we're and we're this is not it's real. Not. I know it's real, but yeah, All go right. ahead. <laughs> what would you project this movie to finish at? Because it's such a strange box office case. We don't have a lot coming down the pike in terms of blockbusters in January, even though we got some intriguing films, I would say. Megan's going to come out this week and I think it'll do OK. And then we got we got, a, you know, awards movies that aren't really diving in and making the money because they've gone to streaming and now you have avatar able to make more money after it didn't drop at all in terms of its uh weekend I mean, to weekend you know change two billion isn't it it actually went over six percent of its second weekend and its third weekend so it's got to go over two billion right yeah i would think i mean i don't see any reason that this would stop short of a couple billion which is like you know, James James Cameron was saying that to to break even, this had to do one and a half billion. That's not true. But in other in other words, and I think it was the big picture that said this as well. What he meant was like to show that there's enough fervor out there for them to justify having like 18 sequels to go forward on and greenlight those 75 sequels they have lined up. They need to do like buku buku box office, and it's going to do whatever those numbers are. So I mean, whatever wherever this does stop, which I think it'll be north of two billion dollars, yeah. is going to be enough to secure the next probably two or three at least avatar sequels the seed bearer doesn't sound like the third movie in a trilogy such a bad everything about this series (laughs) sounds like a middle movie in like a you know colonizers wet dream this fucking i'm just (laughs) all right michael let's move on to puss in boots did solid 134 worldwide that's on demand already is it really? Puss in Boots? Yeah. Noticed it last notice night. It. Oh, yeah. no. That can't be good. Uh, I don't know if it's a pre-order or if, it's, if you can. I think you can buy it and watch it on demand right now, VOD. I, but, uh, yeah. I think it's a pre-order. You're making me search this live on air. Uh, I, th- I, I noticed it last night. I watched a couple of movies last night, and that was one of the first movies listed on my, uh, you know, I still have it. And you didn't buy it? I was thinking about If I had only it, known. I needed, an, I needed an upper. Look, the number of times, it's embarrassing. The number of times I've considered going to Puss in Boots, The Last Witch, especially on my A-list, but I stopped. Puss and Boost, The Last Witch, would be a better, more enticing title. That would be better. I, I, I just ate a sandwich the size of my head. I'm having a hard time <laughs> enunciating. Salami, The Last Cured Meat. Uh, but I, I, I stopped to go because I didn't want to go by myself at like what is the franchise? Like, where's the where's the line? Because we've done we've joked about this numerous times. How I like you know we have to go see Wreck It Ralph by ourselves as grown men in theaters, <laughs> or like I had to go see Minions by myself. Like, what what is the franchise where it's like I can't I can't in good conscience be a grown late thirty something year old man sitting alone in this movie? Well, a Strange World, uh, I would not go to see by myself. It's okay. a pre it's a pre order. So you could pre-order it right now for twenty nine ninety nine. Oh my! Up in the price. This is this is where it's. uh, There was something else that's uh, available for pre. I think it's. uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. But you're making me look this up too. Devotion. I want to dance with somebody. I have it open right now. Oh, you can pre-order all those, huh? Right. Interesting. Okay, I only saw. I think it was Devotion that I saw. Um, But Babylon for nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. That's it. I would buy three of those. <laughs> Why do you need six copies of Time? PJ Cop? Byrne, by the way, <laughs> great joke. PJ Byrne, by the way, responded to us on Twitter and uh, uh-huh. talking about that that scene, which was just 
the best scene of the year, saying he lost his voice for two months after shooting it. Um, that's a tangent. What are we talking about? <laughs> I believe that, though. Anyway, yeah. we're, we're talking about box office. Black Panther crossed $820 million in third. Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody, which I'll review in a minute. $4 million weekend, second weekend, $29 million to- total on a $45 million budget. And then Babylon's only grossed a total of $11 million domestically, Michael. Look, I, how worried are you about Babylon and the whole discourse of this, you know, we need original properties and theaters to Extremely. keep movie going pure and yet these movies are tanking and not doing extremely extremely worried i mean i want to know what the standard deviation is between when the oscars come around with the best picture nominees what's the standard deviation between a franchise properties box office that's nominated for best picture versus an original properties box office for best picture i I mean the deviation is going to be something it's going to be in the hundreds of millions of dollars if you could take a bet on how many oscar nominees have subtitles not subtitles like you know <laughs> colon colon something right. maverick colon right. wakanda forever if only colon. there was a planet of the apes sequel out this year that was oscars eligible yeah i mean is it is it four is it three like three and a half are you taking the over under so maverick three and a half. maverick way of water Black panther uh, knives way out mystery water. yeah oh yeah and wakanda forever are all yeah. four getting nominated or are you taking the under on 3.5 saying three because Black Panther's seen some, I've seen some people put it back in their best picture tens. Let's just say, anyway, I would take the over, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Maverick's a guarantee. Black Panther, I would think Black Panther's a guarantee for at least a tech or two. Knives Out is the one that uh, I could see. Being... I guess I was talking best picture only, but you're, you're oh, talking be- about oh, Oscar oh, noms only. I yeah, I, I would. Yeah, Oscar noms only. No, they're all getting no, out. I'd take the under. Okay, I don't think Knives Out makes best picture. Right. Oh really? You don't so you think yeah cuz I I don't think it should make best picture even though I like Glass Onion. Don't get me wrong. I rewatched yeah, it. No, it's fun very with good. It. It's very good. I just don't I don't you know, I don't I don't need it in the best that picture. That Wakanda forever I would have out. Really? Concerns so about making the best so picture. If, yeah. So if it's 2.5 you're still taking the under on colon titles. I don't know how to pronounce this. Anyway, we I don't are know, is it Marcel the Shell colon with shoes on. Does that count? No. No. So just those two. Puss in Boots, <laughs> Colin, the last wish. We got to end this segment. <laughs> At least we won't ramble in this next segment, which is freeform movie reviews. You ready? <laughs> <laughs> women talking. Yeah, you saw. You finally got around to seeing women talking, which is does not have a colon in its title, but that's is true. going to be a threat for Best Picture. At least that's the uh, prognostication as it has stands now and has stood the entire run up to uh, the new year. Here, what do we think? Yeah, I want Women Talking to be nominated for Best Picture. This is good. Un- Undeniably well made, well told, well acted. It's easily, obviously, Oscars worthy. Uh, the script is excellent. Miriam Toes, the the novelist, co-wrote the script with Sarah Polly. I would love to see them nominated. I think that's pretty solid right now. The performances, I'm not sure necessarily if Claire Foy and Jesse Buckley vote share. If several of the other possibilities in the supporting actress category, like Judith Ivey and Sheila McCarthy, who play those two other characters as moms, their mothers, mm-hmm. in this uh, in this barn that is where it's like 12 angry men where they're just debating on what they should do should they stay should they leave should they fight it's it's a, it's a really intense watch with great performances and they may get blanked 
which is the crazy thing because of how competitive that one particular yeah. category is, supporting actress. Ben Wishaw is up for supporting actor. I wasn't as big a fan as him uh, of his performance here, even though he hits some high marks. The problem is he keeps crying and he doesn't stop. And every time <laughs> they cut to him, he's just un- freshly breaking down and ugly crying. And Mike, it's hard to watch like the non-victim of the story do that because this is like an infuriating story in the sense in a very literal sense like i'm i'm not mad at the filmmakers i love the movie i love the way they made the movie it's not in a meta sense at all in a literal sense i am sitting there stewing just angry and and having this rage problem watching you know characters deal with these this evil that is not shown at all they're just talking about it after the fact and I haven't had a movie do this to me in the longest time. And I go in with my eyes open because they tell you right off the the, the bat that this is a fictional story. And yet... Because, is it, I mean, is it doing what it's designed to do? It's supposed to piss you off? Well, I wonder because I'm in a room in New York City. I'm in a, I'm in a theater where I'm surrounded by people sobbing, crying. I mean, they're re- it's at 1030 in the morning. We got a fairly packed house at Lincoln Square. And... I'm one person sitting there just like, I can't believe how angry this movie is making me. And and it's doing it, you know, I, I'm not reacting properly. I recognize that. And it's doing it by way of its its story and, and how we're reckoning with this nightmare, you know, of what the industry is reckoned with. Yeah. Uh, the Hollywood industry's reckoned with. So I'm watching this thing play out and I'm tr- I'm wrestling with myself as I go through it. That's why I have to, I, I have to see it again, probably to be able to, to take it in and on a on a less emotional level because my feelings were at a fever pitch and I, I don't know it's been a while maybe since I was younger and doing you know heavier bicep curls and uh, <laughs> back then I was I was a little you know more intense about my mm-hmm. some people may have called me a film bro even though I resent that term right but having graduated for such a thing I can you know look at I mean you could recognize this movie for superlatives and that's what I'm hoping for at the end of the day like her direction by the way too top notch like I don't understand why she has to get credit here in the screenplay category and not the director category because you when you film a chamber piece that is mostly in one tight location and you make it as intense suspenseful fast moving as this film was that is directorial prowess, in my opinion. So Sarah Polly should totally get director's credit in, in that regard uh, for the composition. Uh, it looks and then, like she's getting more credit in the uh, screenplay, screenplay than she is uh, directorially, at least according to the Gold Derby experts right now looking around. I mean, Women Talking is number one on a bunch of adapted screenplay lists. It's sticking around in like 20 or so of the experts' top tens for best picture, but pretty universally it's in like the lower the last four entries of everyone's top ten. Yeah, I, I'm a little surprised by that. I wonder if uh, I wonder if the nature of the storyline is just as provocative as, as it was for me. And I, I say that in a hollow sense because, again, I I feel guilty about getting as mad, letting the story get me as angry as it as it did because it's the opposite of the views that they're trying to, you know push in the movie mm. of course and the morals of the movie of course and maybe they're trying to incite that out of you to get you to understand it and i think i do i hope i do anyway but i mean again sarah Polly playing the orchestra 
as we uh, as we've learned from Steve Jobs, getting all those performances, and then Hilder Guanadatir's score is perfect. The cinematography, Luke Montpellier showcased these unique filters, like they are like these literally grain colored filters, like these off yellow filters for all the flashbacks and stuff. But that was wild. That really did it for me. And then, like like I said, anytime you get a chamber piece that works this fast. It's the film editing showcase of the year, in my opinion. And I'm not seeing women talking up for a lot of editing. Rosalind Kahlo and, and, and Kalu, excuse me, uh, and then Christopher Donaldson deserve editing credit, in my opinion. So I don't understand why women talking is not more solidified in the Oscars conversation after seeing it. It's funny. I have the, I have the exact same reaction with She Say, which is similar subject matter and similar, it sounds like, composition as far yeah. as uh, the making of the film goes, and yet... We're, we're having kind of the same struggles. I still do wonder if those are the types of stories that are going to register more heavily with the Academy and with, like, the Screen Actors Guild than they will with any other precursor award show anyway. I, I, I'm curious to see how that plays out. And yet they got to be in this campaign conundrum right now with who to push. Is it Claire right. Foy? Is it Jesse Buckley? Can you push both and get in to such a competitive category? they got to be really scratching their heads in terms of how they're supposed to Oscar campaign this thing. I don't know. I don't know if it's working because according to the punditry for the most part and according to the nominations thus far, I don't I do not think it is working. United Artists has the uh the US distribution rights. It's a universal release internationally. I don't I am not familiar with United Artists running Oscar campaigns in the time we've been doing MMO. Uh. Nothing comes licorice to the top pizza, of my mind. Anyway. Licorice pizza last year for sure. Okay. Or is that MGM? Oh boy. United Artists studio, but yeah. United Artists and MGM worked together for a while on a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's a good that's a good point. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, well, we'll have to uh we'll have to keep an eye on women talking. We're rooting for it. It's percent it, owned by MGM, which is now an Amazon company obviously. And Amazon we know have had their issues campaigning on FYCs, so Yeah, you could be onto something there. I mean, it could be uh there could be all kinds of behind-the-scenes issues with how to further push this movie anyway, for Oscar's relevance. To segue, I'm I'm looking at a movie like Women Talking, and then I'm looking at a movie like Glass Onion, and Glass Onion's getting a lot more you know, publicity and certainly a lot more nods in the Best Picture conversation than Women Talking is, and I'm surprised by that. But you, you watched Glass Onion over the break. It seems like forever ago now, but yeah. Explained by the accessibility of it, right? I mean, Women Talking is only playing still in, I think, select theaters, and and obviously Glass Onion is the big Netflix play for over, that dropped right before the Christmas holiday that everyone was able to have access to. I saw, again, I'm not going to belabor the point and tell you that I'm seeing UFOs, but so many more people were talking about Glass Onion than I saw ever talk about Avatar 2, but again, mm-hmm. that's, you know, anecdotal. Um <laughs> I, you reviewed this movie and you were like, I don't see the imperative to nominate this for Best Picture. I kind of have the same takeaway. I mean, it's a loads of fun. They're great characters. The production design should be absolutely nominated. But again, how <laughs> difficult is it when you're literally shooting in paradise that I saw Ryan Johnson make a couple comments about as well. But in they kind of make a big gaudy mansion in paradise. Right. The glass the onion mansion is, is the... Uh, the big production design, and it does play into the plot fairly heavily yeah. as well. So I, I think it absolutely has to be at least discussed, if not nominated, for that aspect. I don't know that there's any performance from this that I would, you know, pound the table over. I'm I'm happy Janelle Monae has gotten the recognition she has, but if mm-hmm. she doesn't find her way to that 
unbelievably tight supporting actress race at the end of the day. If she's not one of the five, I'm not going to be, you know, befuddled or not. I, I mean, it's just such a loaded category. I uh, I think she's great in it. I mean, she's a lead actress. Let's let's be honest, which is sure. kind of silly. But uh, I'm I'm with you on, in the sense that I think I'd be fine with Glass Onion getting nominations. Like this is uh, this is again maybe we're hypocritical because we've kind of banged the table in the past about hey why can't movies like this be Oscars worthy and here we have one and yet you know we're we're. <laughs> Now turning to the other way, saying no, oh. a more serious underseen movie should be nominated, and yet right. this is I the mean, big don't fun. Get me if yeah. something, if this does get like seven or eight noms, it is so enjoyable. I'm not going to care. I'm right. going to be all for it. I'm be it's very funny, happy. huh? I mean, that movie works for me most of all as a comedy. Glass Onion. Like the I neighbor, was laughing. The neighbor character <laughs> is hysterical. And serves no purpose whatsoever. Not even here. <laughs> I thought, like, I thought he was gonna. Ha- I, I, I guess this is, I don't like, but he, he's just there for comedic effect the entire time, mm. and he nails it. And I want to quote that movie more. Like, I have to watch it more to be able to quote it amongst <laughs> friends. But blame it on the Pando Blanc. I, I, I've been worrying about quoting that to you. And this is where I'm at in my life because we used to just quote movies all the time as kids, mm-hmm. right? We just, eh, mm-hmm. we were so cool. At least this is what I yeah, conceived was, of that's as what we being were. cool. Yeah, that's what we were. I was so cool. I used to quote Austin Powers all day long. I was the coolest. And I want to do that again. I want to have that again. And Glass Onion is where I could have that again, Michael. But now I'm so gun shy about it. I won't. I just I talk about doing it. But I'll never do it now. Just pull the trigger. Who cares? If when is wrong? that going to come matters. up in con- conversation? Blame it on the Pando Blanc. <laughs> Yeah, you're going to have to go to a secluded private island run by a narcissistic tech billionaire. <laughs> guess so. All right. How do I transition from Glass Onion to The Whale? Uh, okay. A messy film. Literally and figuratively, uh, The Whale shows like this impossible life where this guy's living in this condition. And it's a bleak outlook from the start. <laughs> we we see Aronofsky like at his best and his worst as a director, I think. And yet, I can't take much more of him at his worst, to be honest. <laughs> and yet, I I feel like it is a high degree of difficulty, and I want to give him a lot of credit because you're dealing with the central character that is so estranged from your audience that it just takes a, an incredible performance and a really sympathetic story to somehow relate to him and his soul crushing destiny which you understand uh in the very early obviously he's you you understand going into the movie that he's in trouble health-wise and like i don't know uh if watching brendan frazier in such a vulnerable position is where i want to be ever again like i i can't imagine re-watching this movie but for the one experience it is powerful. It's undeniably powerful. Hong Chow's performance beside him, super intense. Uh, Sadie Sink is the perfect cold daughter who has to, you know, learn to uh, to, to to know her father in the ble- in, in, again in the smallest sense by the end of it. Right. So, I don't know. I, I watching this movie watch, it reminds me how much I've missed Brendan Fraser and what a star he was throughout our childhoods from. 
the I performance mean, holds up. I'm. I mean, it has to. He's, he's. It's as good as advertised. He's. He's excellent, and he's okay. doing so much more. Look, he's doing so much more than Oldman did in the Darkest Hour. And you. You remember wow. his movie star charisma from. I mean, movies that I loved growing up, like Blast from the Past, and. and oh yeah, what an underrated movie! And the mu- obviously too. he's hilarious in the Mummy movies and and mm-hmm. George of the Jungle. Where we were Would the kids. whale have been better if James Corden played the lead? <laughs> Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to abstain from answering that question. What what kind of jackass? (laughs) Like, you know, I was going to be in the whale once. (laughs) James, pack it in, man. (laughs) Just, just, just get in the car. And keep yes, singing. Just keep exactly. Singing. Yes. That's what you're great, great, great at. You're great at that. Everybody loves. Car is a great. Just it's it's just just a great line. It's just get in the car. <laughs> but the whale is is painful to watch. I'll, I, it is one of the more discomforting films. Does the makeup hold up? The makeup holds up. The makeup should win the Oscar, in my opinion. I, I don't. I have any qualms in saying that. I can't believe they made it look as real as they did. Wow. Uh, I have no issues with the with the makeup. I, I have some issues with the story, and and the story is it's a bit manipulative at times. And I think they they back themselves into such a corner that you almost have to be bold. With mm. your decision making, so I'm I'm saying the movie just works enough for me, the whale, to where I like I'm a C plus B minus with the superlative of that performance, which again I just I think is is so powerful. You you again you bring all the baggage of Brendan Fraser's life and career and and the nostalgia of loving him for for decades when we're growing up, and it adds even more because it's his comeback story. I mean, it really is the confluence of the Oscars narrative and a great performance here that could catapult him to the win. And he's going to have enough involved with the season with this makeup and hair co-nominee, I think, that uh, it's very possible. Yeah, you kept uh, reminding me of that when I kept saying, where's the second nomination coming from? And it looks like it is going to be a nominee in makeup and hair uh, pretty standardly across the board. So good, good by you for keeping that option open. And it doesn't make up for the fact that Colin Farrell has pretty routinely beaten Brendan Fraser at every chance thus yeah, far. But there's still time. There's still time. The crossover with the Academy hasn't happened yet, really. Right, right. So, and and, it, and look, the whale is a success at the box office. It has a very small budget and three million, and it's already made six. So it's a success as Man, an indie movie. What a, what a, what are we talking about? I'm just a saying, successful indie movie right now is six. That's so <laughs> bad for the box office. But look at it's gonna make. Money. It's already profitable. So I'm not. Yeah, I, mean, I get what you're saying. I'm just, be, you know, Pulp dude. Fiction was a successful indie movie once upon a time, I'm too. Just, you know, like it's just, it's just sad. You're right. I should just say. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not taking a shot at you. I'm mm. just. The box office is in trouble. And I, I have people on Twitter all the time telling me how wrong I am. And it's just, okay, give me evidence. Give me hope somewhere. 35 the divide between down. The divide between franchise movie box office versus any adult drama, independent cinema box offices. Stark. Yeah, it's it's not great. And I think we hit more on the the head of this with the last episode and how we were talking about Babylon and and, yeah. and based on like the town, which again is a better podcast than ours, unfortunately. <laughs> Matt Bellany there. Fuck. <laughs> Fucking Matt Bellany. <laughs> Who Who actually interviewed a guy? No, he, he his last episode, he interviewed a guy on the false presumption 
that older audiences were not returning when in fact all the numbers quoted by his latest guest were proving that it was in fact Gen Z that has not returned to the box office. Which we underscore every time we talk to Swell. Especially since the Pando Blanc. Yeah. (laughs) Michael, I'm dying to know your opinion on this next movie. And I was so tempted to text you about it forever, but I was too afraid to. Because this is the freaking Stockholm Syndrome you forced me into in this relationship. Because I'm afraid to ask you your opinion on movies. But I have to know. Decision to leave. Do you love it? Do you hate it? Uh, Where are you on it? Uh, It's a B. It's a solid B. I... (laughs) It's you are it's, measured on this movie. You I mean, are in the middle on this one. Look, it, this is a slow burn. <laughs> it's a slow burn of a mystery and a procedural. And if you're going to have a story that burns so slowly mm. in that type of movie, then the payoff has to kind of blow me away. I'm not sure this one does. But that said, it's an enjoyable 135 minutes. Hmm. The mis- the twists and turns you get along the way to the end of the mystery keep you invested. The character work is great, even if the big reveal kind of lets you down. I was more impressed, I think, with like the craft and the direction and the things surrounding this, which are really top-notch. And I'm further entrenched in my opinion that South Korea hmm. is where the stories are. I mean, South Korean cinema is where it's like the halcyon days of the 60s and 70s in American cinema where you used to get these intricate, layered, deep, rich stories. Like, it's Chinatown Jake type stuff that weren't based on, I mean, they may have been based on books, but they weren't really based on any previous IP in the cinematic world. I feel like South Korea, just over and over again, is where we find those types of stories, which I love, which always speak to me. I have not watched a South Korean movie, I think, in my last, like, half dozen or so watches that I was not like, God damn, that was a good story. Right. And Decision to Leave is one of those. Even though, again, the payoff to the mystery, I thought kind of fell a little flat. Fascinating. And I wish I, w- we, I wish we did an actual uh, film study. Yeah, we should have. Next, next year we have to. The next time he this man makes a movie, yeah. we got to do a Park Chan-wook rewatch, which actually yeah. my brother and I are planning to do over on weekends in the future. Like we want to watch every single one of his films. I've seen most of them, but I didn't I didn't see his initial film uh Joint Security Area and I I missed a few more there. We may even watch his uh his uh Florence Pugh series on Netflix or I'm sorry, Amazon. Anyway, oh AMC yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I forgot. I forgot that was coming. Remind me your take on decision leave. What did you feel about the the ending? Well, my my first watch, I was very similar to you. In fact, where I okay. loved, his, and he was a top five director for me all year. Yeah, I was like, I mean, he, he's in the conversation. He has to be. Like, there's a middle portion of this movie where I'm just in awe of how mm-hmm. he's going about this and the stylistic choices he's making. And then there's definitely like a kind of a tonal shift. Yeah. yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. There's a tonal shift, and the rest of the movie played out weirdly for me on first watch. Now, second watch, I was expecting the tonal shift, and I was really able to take a lot of the emotional weight of the final act. And that was just an incredible, I mean, good God, tidal wave of feeling. So I am sitting there. I'm like, wow, I didn't know this story could do this to me. 
understanding it a bit more. So I'd be curious if you rewatched it, if that I mean, would also yeah, happen. I could, I could see that happening for sure, because I don't mean to say that like the ending was expected, because it's not something you expect. Do you, do you feel like you understand? Because I still don't feel like I understand it. And I've, I've sought out YouTube videos to try and figure it out. And I look, usually I'm right with those YouTube videos. I like, I give these guys credit. Yeah. They're mining through, they're doing some real difficult sleuthing, but these are the dumbest YouTube explanations for decision to leave that i've ever they're like, <laughs> i haven't, it's, I haven't it's mount, seen any of them it's the mountainous life versus the sea life i just can't get over how what was, idiotic what was that what was that why am i having ptsd about that <laughs> maybe i'll watch this for a third times and i'll be like oh yes it is the mountains versus the sea life <laughs> I feel like Charlie Kaufman's surrogate character of Nicolas Cage, an adaptation. Yes, it's technology versus horse. I've, I've thought a lot about this. Which is really what this whole podcast has been about the entire time. <laughs> because he pitches his whole, uh, it's one of my favorite scenes ever, pitches his whole movie about the, the guy in the car versus the guy in the horse. And it's really a metaphor for technology versus horse. <laughs> Again, uh, a, a movie over two hours. If you have trouble with these two hour plus movies, I think this is one of the better ones you'll see. Somebody put on Twitter, maybe it was Instagram and a meme. I don't know. I saw somewhere recently where somebody was complaining about how they'll never watch a subtitled movie. And the oh. response to it was, I'm convinced people who dislike subtitles just can't read fast. <laughs> and that's my working prerogative or my working assumption now. There, look at there was a movie like a subtitled movie that I watched recently where I was like, oh my god, it is moving too fast for me. Oh, Argentina, <laughs> Argentina, nineteen eighty five. Oh, really? Okay. And it, I I love the movie, but I had to rewind it a couple of times because it was going so fast. It was just like this talky mile to mile a minute, really smart lawyer movie, and these lawyers were just talking uh, so fast, and it was really dense. Gotcha. Yeah. Anyway. Well, you're the. You're the- you're the rule that proves the rule about the, uh, the I, main comment that I just generalized. That I am the subject of it. I can't, I can't read good. Anyway, I got to review Whitney Houston. I want to dance with somebody. You and don't have to. What a review this is going to be, though, Mike. I don't even know if we should do a spoiler section at the end of this episode or not. Or if you want to. Like, here's the thing. I've already spoiled this movie for you. I'm, I'll never watch it. Okay, I'm, so I'm maybe maybe we'll do that just like last minute because I'm shocked by what they do in this movie. Yeah, you're not. You're, well, you're not in not in a good way. Biopic cliches kind of sour me on this movie when, especially when you think about them for a second. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, an hour and a half of this film is a joy. Whitney Houston, I want to dance with somebody is like a behind the music highlight reel of wow. all her biggest songs, of all these happy moments in her career for ninety minutes. And good God. In the movie theater with that beautiful music that I grew up on, that my mm-hmm. whole family loved. I, I have a lot of cousins. I have a lot of aunts and uncles. We grew. I grew up in the, you know, I'm an 80s baby, 1984. Late 80s, early 90s, Whitney Houston was the most right. successful, you know, pop star other yep. than, you know, a few few other people maybe. It's like and her and Mariah Carey, yeah. Well, yeah, it's... Again, you're you're younger than me, so Mariah Carey's would be what Mariah you said. Mariah Carey had number ones in like 1991. What are you talking I'm about? I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying you're younger than me. Whitney Houston, I would not. Like I would have said Michael Jackson. I would have said because I'm I'm. Well, an yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's I'm, you know the king of. I'm just. Uh, yeah. Am I dismayed that uh, you would immediately go to Mariah Carey? Uh, yes, a little bit. I was just thinking it about just divas. made me feel. I, no, yes, you yeah, you yeah. gave me pause because you made me feel older. 
Madonna and... was in one of my top five most listened to of 2022 right. Spotify raps. Well, if you said Madonna, I would have been in lockstep, and I wouldn't have had to go on this self-hating digression for let's 30, do, let's, 45 seconds. Let's turn seconds. to a music podcast completely. What's the Mount Rushmore of, like, 80s, 90s music? Well, Talking Heads. <laughs> talking Heads! Fine Young Cannibals. Uh, who sang? A hundred thousand maniacs. <laughs> and I would walk five hundred. Right. Oh, the Proclaimers. The Proclaimers. Yeah, love them. No, I I uh, I went to a lot of '80s parties in college. Can you tell, Michael? Did you really? Yeah, like every month there was at least one, and I may or may not have sought them out because. <laughs> I did well at said get-togethers. I just did well. I did well. I belonged there. That's your natural element. It was my natural element. You and kind warmers. Of, I'm an old soul, mm-hmm. and I look mm-hmm. good in the clothing. I just always have. I've always had this hair You know you could style. just wear it. <laughs> well, it's kind of gone back to a lot of 80s styles that I uh-huh. should have I should have taken advantage of, but now I'm, I don't really give a shit anymore about my fashion. <laughs> What are we talking about? I want to dance with somebody. Whitney Houston. <laughs> Falls prey to a lot of the biopic cliches. And a lot of these movies, Michael, from Elvis, even a Rocket Man, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, they've bent over backwards to break the forms and the norms of the of the genre, right? Elvis just did everything, sped it up. And we get like four yes. biopics in one. Put it on you, cocaine. You have Rocket Man that goes hyper real and it's all this put it on cocaine yeah and then you have (laughs) bohemian rhapsody that played with the structure and we gave it credit even though we didn't love the film and we sure certainly didn't love it as a best picture nominee cocaine literally plays a role in the movie (laughs) and we were like all about the fact that oh my god they just gave us a half hour concert at the end of this thing yeah that was a rap so i want to dance with somebody doesn't really break the break any changes it goes back to a lot of the typical biopic cliches and yes, it, the costumes and production design are so on point for the 80s and 90s. And yes, Naomi Aki was awesome. And Good. yes, this is such a sugarcoating of the whole story until they are, they have to just like, they have no choice but to finally address the elephant in the room, which of course is what we've been saying. None of the trailers leading up to I Want to Dance with Somebody were doing with the Bobby Whitney stuff, with the drug overdose problems. and So they hit on both of the, the big, the two big issues that she faced. They do, and in okay. spoilers, maybe if we get to it, I don't know if I need to. But I, look, I cannot, I cannot. Let me just say, just just say, they they. You told me that the film glorifies one of those two vices too much. I just think they they went into a direction where the cause and effect, and I don't think it, it's a glorification necessarily as. She was stating facts. It was Popeye spinach. Casey Lemons was stating facts in this in this situation. Yeah, like this was the double edged sword of the situation. It's nothing different than what we saw in Elvis or what we saw in Bull Rap and what we know of the issues and why people do them. Right? I mean, I just watched a Robin Williams uh, documentary a while ago, and he said it was a necessity because he was on tour and he. You know, that's what that's the way he felt. And Whitney Houston certainly felt like it was a necessity for her to, yeah. to hit the notes. And I could not believe that cause and effect was shown in such a clear way 
in this movie. And yeah, so we don't need the spoiler section. That's what it was. I was just like, this is, I've never seen this. I've never seen a sequence about drugs lead into a sequence about her nailing a triumphant performance. And then they are clearly explaining that A equaled B. Does that go in with the, like, do you think you're supposed to obviously come in with the information that yeah, drugs are bad? Yeah, but Casey Lemons is saying, like, look, this is the tragedy of the situation. She felt right. she needed this. Maybe she did. Maybe she didn't. She felt right. she needed it. And here we and then, yeah, months later, she was gone. Yeah. And it's that's the tragedy of it. And yet, look, I, I just but but that's like the last half hour of the film. Yeah, it's really <laughs> weird to juxtapose to have that kind of against this happy go lucky 90 minutes of. Joy, Wild success, fame, and joy. Yeah. Uh, the the and the height was the height of my fandom of Whitney Houston. That giant Super right. Bowl where I had just come online as a fan. I'm like I'm yeah. seven years old. I started paying attention to football in '89. No, excuse mm-hmm. me, '88. The Super Bowl of '88. I remember distinctly. And then by '90, I'm a huge Giants fan. I'm crying my eyes out '89 when Flipper Anderson beat us. And then in '90. The Giants are winning the Super Bowl. It's the greatest moment of my young life at that point. Right. And I remember the room of my family going ballistic when she hit those notes for the national anthem before that game to the point where my father was a coaching director for all our youth football games. He insisted that that national anthem be played for like the next 10 years. And it's funny. (laughs) I still go back and I watch some local games once in a while because I'm a coach in town and I'll go see, you know, like the next eighth grade Mm -hmm. team coming up or whatever. And they're still playing that national anthem from time to time. The Whitney Houston one. That's awesome. Cause it's on tape up there in the press box. That's really cool. Anyway. So, a movie worth watching or look i i enjoyed it and but they i realize it's not a really game it's not a game changer as a biopic a musical biopic it's going back to what we've seen a lot you know it it reminded me of what was the movie oh god michael jennifer hudson played aretha franklin i forget it was called now respect 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 kind of leaned into all the cliches which was Mm -hmm. frustrating yeah and uh you know, we've we've been spoiled because like get it from get on up in like 2014, we have gone far away from the cliched biopic. Maybe that's the Dewey Cox effect. I don't know. Anyway, speaking of genre fair, did you feel like Smile Smile stayed with a lot of uh, the formulas that have been working in this particular jump scare genre? Or what, what, how would you characterize Smile as a horror film? it was pretty much exactly what I expected it to be. And it had the issues that I foretold it would some time ago on this podcast for me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great concept. It's an awesome setup. It has marketing that other films would kill for. And that's probably what helped lead to this, you know, the viral marketing I, I'm sure helped the box office as well as a really cool concept for it. But you know, it's, it's an, a, a story that's virtually impossible to pay off in a satisfactory way, which is, Horror's issue right now, I think, for the most part. I mean, you a lot of new. You didn't think that's you didn't think that spectacle was something you never seen before. That was so wild and crazy that it paid off the rest of the film, or you just didn't agree? Because I remember you texting me after the movie. Again, it's hard hard to do it not spo- without spoilers here. But you you said you disagreed with the finale, but that, but I, the, I, you know, I as far as a spectacle goes, yeah, it was something. 
fairly unique. I don't know that it's something I've never seen before. Because horror. that's my greatest fear. I just want to tell you. It was my greatest fear, <laughs> and I had a broken rib at the time. And when I winced at my greatest fear on Scream, and remember I told you about that little kid who was running, running around the theater? Yeah. Scared the shit out of me <laughs> because he's running around the theater the whole time. This movie's like deathly silent. And then my greatest fear comes on the screen, and it's just like, Wah! Well, and- the... The jump scare element. This is, it is good for jump scares, absolutely. As a as a conventional horror movie goes, I mean, there's there's a lot of goods in this. It's a it's, you know, it's a B minus horror movie. It's a upper echelon genre film. I don't know that it's you know anything like I was more entertained by the Black Phone story, for instance. Okay, that's all. all. Fascinating. I'm not I'm not hating on Smile. I like Smile. It was a good it, watch. It terrified me by the end of it. And again, you know, I had I literally had a broken rib while I was watching it, so that maybe that was. I don't know. Maybe I was biased. I haven't rewatched it yet. I, I haven't had to. I mean, even though it's right on Paramount Plus, I probably should. All right. Um, let me go a little faster. Four rapid fire reviews. I did do a day in New York City. I tweeted about it where I saw women talking. Then I went to in Lincoln Center. Then I went downtown to the West Village, Mike, and I saw a broker at the IFC. Uh, what is it? Theater. <laughs> <laughs> It's like it has a special name, and I haven't been there in years. I'm sorry. IFC Center. I'm glad I (laughs) ground this thing to a halt. So here's the thing: like I I called an audible on the on the train ride there, and I'm like, I really need to see three movies. I was going to see EO and uh, Women Talking. I was going to the city to see those Mm -hmm. two films, and I was like, Is there a way where I could see three movies instead of two? I was going to take like a three-hour lunch break, and that didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And I was able to figure out how to see EO in in the West Village, and Broker was right there. And I was very worried about getting off the subway and finding this place and walking to it, because I'm not the greatest down there. Like, the streets stop being numbered necessarily, and it gets alphabet soup, and it's hard to navigate. Okay. I'm afraid. I get off the subway and I'm like freaking out. Where the hell is it? I turn to my left and there's a theater. <laughs> it's literally right over my head. Uh, and then they're selling beer, which was great. So oh, I nice. Got some win, beer. Win. It's only, I mean, it's noon somewhere, right? I mean, no, right. it was one o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon. It's 9 a.m. somewhere. <laughs> I, well, I'm making the joke because I have it as Samuel Adams. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, look, Broker was an emotional story. So I, I was, you know, the buzz. Worked extra, worked overtime there, and you get multiple perspectives of this child adoption process from Hirokazu Kurita, uh, director of Shoplifters, who's done the found family thing before really well in that particular film. And Song Kang Ho was excellent of Parasite and pretty much every major movie from right. that culture. <laughs> he's been in everything. He's he's incredible. Uh Look, you get POVs from the parents, from the eventual parents, from the from the the kids, even though not that particular baby. You get the POV of the mother who's giving up the child, and you get the POV of these brokers who are obviously on the trafficking illegal side of it, even though they're trying to do good and they come from similar backgrounds. And it's quite a cathartic mess. I would say at the end of the day, and the results are kind of hit and miss. There are heartbreaking, adorable moments where I just wanted to love this movie so strongly, and then there's really clunky moments where the flow of Broker is very off. So interesting. I'm in like the B minus C plus range with Broker. 
and it was hard to just get behind it and bang the table necessarily, but I was a fan. Uh, I did see EO next after mm-hmm. going. Mike, I was walking around this area. I'm like, I feel like sushi. I just had Italian with the mm-hmm. family over Christ- Christmas okay. Eve. We did a big new thing where we did Italian food on Christmas Eve. And I was like, I was going to go to to uh, John's, and that was pizza, you know, like the best pizza in the area. And I'm like, I don't feel like pizza. I feel like sushi. And I got lucky because there were like 15 sushi places in that area. It was like little little Japan, that area. And I literally did a lap and I walked around. I was like, which one looks the most like Kill Bill? And (laughs) where can I also learn sword fighting but no i wanted to i just wanted a chill little place where everything looked great and i found this place i forget the damn name of it it started with an o it was awesome sushi and i got all the salmon i i I didn't know how to read this menu because it was more advanced than my ability i I get sushi like once a month and Mm -hmm. it was just more advanced beyond me and i'm like listen I, i i apologize but i love salmon sushi i love this and that and the other thing is like i'll just make that for you so he just hooked you up <laughs> he just hooked me up with this yeah. beautiful plate of sushi i he nailed it a couple rolls dumb american dumb american <laughs> but he treated me so well i had this salads miso soup which was incredible on a cold oh, day you would have thought the next movie would have been undislikable <laughs> Oh no! After such a meal, but I saw EO, <laughs> and what a maddening, infuriating experience. Some people and now think, you hate horses. Too. I I hate donkey. No, I look. I love. I hate this movie because I love those characters, and they do nothing but put this poor donkey through hell the entire film. And you're traveling with this with this animal for hours, and you, you're you're relating to it like it's a freaking Disney movie for Christ's sake. And he just has the worst time. Now they're making. They're making this from the animal's perspective, and EO is certainly an animal rights activism film. I just I get very frustrated with manipulative storytelling that is this provocative when you make me so emotional over the film, over the characters in particular. So trigger warnings abound for EO. I still have to give it a very strong grade. I mean, it's a B86 all day, probably better, and yet I hate it every minute of it. <laughs> So, I mean, you're dealing with a couple movies that have get really given you, like, some strong feelings between EO and women talking, but you're paying your due respects to them. So, you know, they're not bad watches, but right. they're eliciting strong emotions from you, which is, I guess, the point, right? And I, I guess you're right. So, I'm just being honest about my fa- I I want to just be happy and go the way of water, <laughs> I guess. No. I, look at another, this next movie, Soft and Quiet. It's about white supremacists. And it is so American History X that it is totally disturbing and yet you know it's coming from such a moral place of righteous outrage that when you when this thing kicks in soft and quiet Mm -hmm. i mean this is one of the most deliberately enraging but engaging films in a while and i just think this this director did did it like birdman where you're watching this movie in real time yes there are a few cuts obvious cuts but there's just one one shot after another I was very impressed, and I I, I, w- I think you would be interested in a movie like this regardless, Mike. I know you've Isn't been wanting to see it. Isn't this the one that I it. said sounded interesting? Yes, and it, it is a wild film. I, I mean, it's a bit in your face. Well, not a bit. It's more than a bit in your face. It's in your mm-hmm. face. And I just give the – this is the kind of bold debut that you want to see. 
and, and from a feel uh, a female filmmaker, and I believe it's Beth Day Arroyo. And forgive me for the pronunciation. I, I will learn her name because she is all over the indie spirits, etc. And she did, did an incredible job here. So good, happy to hear that. Finally, I'll review Meet Me in the Bathroom, which my brother and I should just high five over for a couple days. And that is a very you and your brothers type uh, documentary. Documentary on Showtime right now about the New York City music scene, the rock music scene in the late '90s, early 2000s. You're Mr. New York. Your one brother, who was my former roommate, likes indie songs that just sound like a tool chest hitting a garage wall. <laughs> the Strokes, <laughs> the Strokes, yeah, yeah, yeah's LCD sound system and Interpol were the four bands the film kind of focused on. But you also get anecdotes about TV on the radio, Ryan Adams, a lot of the other contemporary bands of the time. And you get these rare performances that are put on screen from like some of their first breakout concerts that stuff does fast like like my one of my biggest regrets in life is that i've never i will never see a show at cbgb's you know in new yeah, york exactly that type of thing where it's like the the holy ground for the start of so many bands and i i just felt like i got into this group of bands around you know five years later when i was getting into college mm-hmm. and yet it was really to, it was really cool to see their making of story, to see their origin stories in many ways. And Meet Me in the Bathroom, it's a strong watch, like a be all day. I, I just, yeah, I just, I probably like it more than it. It's good <laughs> because it's, it just felt like I'm a homer on this one. It's a yeah. lot of the, it, it's, it's some awkward storytelling, if I'm honest. But it, it still worked on me. So that's that's Meet Me in the Bathroom. Michael, we're going to finish up with a couple more rapid fires here. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. You tweeted about it. One of the best movies I've seen all year. That's incredible to hear. But you <laughs> tweeted about it and you said the exact same thing I said months ago. Exact same yeah, thing. I mean, it's exact, so but, exactly. But I knew, like I said, all my criticisms going into this movie were that I knew as soon as I saw it, I would, my heart would melt and I would do anything. And it's exactly what happened. Said, it took you, Jenny Slate's like first two sentences for me to be like, yep. Yeah, but you called the thing gravel, sea gravel. Well, it's which sea is, gravel. That's what a shell is. It's, it is. It's sea gravel. You're not sea wrong. Gravel. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, it's an adorable. I gave it a B plus. I liked it more than it is better is probably an also way of describing my feelings towards this movie. <laughs> it's odd in the year that like everything I think is way too long that, you know, something like this I felt was too short. I wanted more. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a quick 90 minute, like your heart melts and you just, the subject matter. Who? I would have been never in a million years have guessed mm. the one guest star that makes a cameo in this is who it is. <laughs> I know right. we've talked about it previously. I won't spoil it here because okay. you can get this right now on VOD for like five bucks to rent. Do it. But this, I mean, so much more entertaining than Pinocchio, isn't it? I 100% agree. I'm definitely on the Marcel Shell side of things. Now, I did show this movie to family, and they weren't all that enthused about it. Well, then you have to divorce them legally. I have to get away <laughs> from them. I agree. I agree. You can't have that type of negativity in your life. Because <laughs> I also love this movie twice. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we can Roman handshake on something yeah, these days. Great. I mean, look, I, in all, like, if this got nominated for, it won't. But if this made, like, Best Picture, no, fine. I don't care. Have this be the 10th Best Picture nominee. Can you imagine? be great uh, who's gonna hate marcel the shell with shoes on getting the 10th best picture spot uh can you in, in your wildest fantasy this gets in over avatar the way of water 
Oh my God! I would. <laughs> would you take back everything you've ever said about the academy? Backflips. Yes, I would. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to review Bad Axe for a second. This is an IFC film. I love IFC. Everything I've been watching They're from great. them has just been awesome. And I, I love the AMC Plus because I can go back at stuff that I missed for whatever reason. I'm still, I'm still over the moon about a lot of their back uh, catalog. Bad Axe is about a, a Asian family. Well. Cambodian and Mexican, those are the two lineages of of the family, and they're in like Trump country. They're in yeah. uh, Michigan, and they have a restaurant. And the pandemic hits, and it's about this odyssey of the children in the family taking care of their high risk father health wise by kind of boxing him out of the business because they don't want him risking getting COVID, and they they're working day jobs. And yet they're still running the restaurant at night, these kids. And it's just like a superhero story of this family navigating the pandemic financially. And then you get just a cavalcade of one major political movement after another hitting the USA. And they're all having tangible responses within that very community. And you're watching how this family's navigating this and keeping their business afloat and keeping their family afloat because there's mental illness issues with a few members of the family and they're not reacting well to what, where all of this adversity. I mean, is Bad Axe? Is Bad Axe is the name of the town. Yes. Okay. I believe it's Bad Axe, Michigan. I forgive me. I forgot. Maybe it's Wisconsin. I don't remember. I mean, it's a real time portrait of 2020 unfolds as an Asian American family in Trump's rural America fights to keep their restaurant and American dream alive in the face of a pandemic, neo Nazis, and generational scars from the killing fields. Good God. Yeah, well, that premise is not helping me prove that I've seen the movie, is it? <laughs> Sounds like exactly what I said. I just realized that. You Wait a minute. I really didn't. <laughs> I just, I just paraphrased the premise. How do they not know that I just paraphrased the premise? I will say, look, I, I mean, I was tearing up throughout this watch. And it wasn't because of the any of the political issues or whatever. I mean, I, th- I thought they were very charitable to both sides, to be honest with you, because they're trying to... to outreach to this town and they love a lot of people in this town who are you know betting on the other ticket and yet the most emotional moments in this in this story were just like father-daughter stuff and i'm just i'm watching this like oh my god (laughs) i'm still i'm almost tearing up right now just thinking about it it's just a beautiful family story Bad acts should get nominated for best documentary feature. I don't know that I can uh, mentally take that type of movie right now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame you. So you, you actually went the opposite direction. I have not seen the inspection yet from a 24 closing nighter at New York film festival. uh, But you spent $20 to watch the inspection, Michael. This was one of the weirdest watches of the year for me because the, I mean, I, it's a 77. I gave it a C plus, right? Okay. The first half of this movie, I thought, struggled mightily. I mean, there's some great performances, well, primarily by Jeremy Pope, mm-hmm. but they're forced to play off some of the the most one-note performances of the year, I thought. Like, the good guys and the bad guys are so black and white. Really? The script tries to, a little bit to add some dimension around the halfway point, but like the, the antagonism of this film feels like if this film was written in 1996. For the first half of this movie, which was a bummer. Like the first, like the first half was like C minus D plus for me. 
But then the second half comes in, mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm watching a completely different movie. Okay. Like, the performances are spot on. The music sets the scenes better. The drama feels more real and more lifelike. It's complexly layered. It, it's like the first half was a C minus, and the second half was like a B plus for me for hmm. a 90 minute movie. I mean, this is not a long movie, this is not a two hour movie. So, with all that said, it falls short of Oscar relevancy for me. Pope is good, but mm-hmm. this feels more like a resume builder. Gabrielle Union, I don't get the hype. I mean, she's good, but she's in like five scenes. Really? She's okay. not in this movie very much. The real life story of writer-director Elegance Bratton, which is what this is based on, I, I'm i much more interested by and fascinated by. I would love to hear him telling a real life accounting of what actually happened because, and this may be one of the only times along with Marcel the Shell, I'm going to say this, like, telling the story in this movie made it feel rushed. And hmm. this story, I think, needed more time to breathe. It would have made more of the twists along the way and the more of the interpersonal uh, communication with the characters more realistic. So because... you wanted a three-hour film, is what right, you're saying, exactly. what you've always said. Exactly. What I, if, I, if I have said nothing else on this podcast. <laughs> Minimum. I this, right. Two hours and, and 30 minutes. <laughs> um, I don't see the Oscars likes for this. It's it's a fine watch. I don't know that it's necessarily something you need to watch. I would be much more interested again if, if Elegance Breton told like a documentary accounting of what actually of his side of what happened. Um, but wow, as far as reading the Oscars tea leaves goes, I mean, if something like Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always was so offensive to the conservative branch of the Academy as it was that there was no way it would. I can't imagine this any aspect of this movie. I, I think it's going to get treated the same way mm-hmm. because this is the story about a, a man joining the armed forces during the early two thousands. He's discovered to be a homosexual. He's got to deal with all the, you know, you're going to make a man out of you bullshit, toxic masculinity yeah. that was pervading our armed forces at the times. But it is a story about a gay man overcoming that stuff. And, you know, dealing, I, I, I could just see it rubbing conservative members of the Academy Rightly or wrongly, wrongly, uh, the same way as something like Never Really Sometimes Always did. Uh, again, overall, I don't know. I don't know that I would pay twenty bucks for it again. I think you can wait till it comes down. Um, but if you're going in it to see one thing, Jeremy mm-hmm. Pope is he puts forth a really, really good performance. Can you can you see him getting nominated at the end of the day? Because he did get a Golden Globe drama. drama yeah, that was, I was. Mo- that's why I hit play on it because I was most surprised by that. And I, I don't. I don't. S- I don't know. Maybe I don't think he. If he is it, I think it'd be to fill out the category. Hmm. Well, I mean, there's an open spot in the category. We've right. been saying it for a while. I mean, if, it's, if it's if he gets that fifth spot, if he, you know, you know, like the names we've talked about, sure. But I don't think he's going to be a threat. Fraser, Farrell, Butler, Nye seem more entrenched right. now than they've than we've had in a while, and there's kind of a a battle for that fifth spot, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, again, if you know, if he's if he's there, tip of the captain. This feels more like a resume builder, though, to me, than it does something that's mm. he must be nominated. But if he's there, I got I I wouldn't really have an issue with it. He's very good in this. Um, I would be very curious to hear your thoughts because I this is a to me, it's a stark first half, second half quality. I plan to watch it. I I, I was even gonna buy it if it came available for purchase but just twenty dollars as a rental i was just like nah i'm gonna wait yeah it's rough that's rough yeah i give you credit there uh i i almost saw it a couple times i i've missed so many opportunities to see it i feel like a fool but i just 
I, I couldn't. Yeah, you really are slacking in your movie watching. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, we should get to the Sundance preview finally, though that was a lot of fun, dueling reviews there. Yeah. We, we haven't done like a big re- movie review bundle in a long time, so that was cool. Uh, so let's do a movie preview bundle, and I want to focus on Sundance Online. So I've written out 20 films, Michael, and maybe we could just bat them back and forth. Sure. And these, these are going to be the available films at Sundance. I don't know if you want to do an auctioneer voice where we go back and forth. What do you think? <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can put on an auctioneer voice if you think that would help. <laughs> I don't know. But Magazine Dreams, let's just say that's a marquee movie at the Sundance Film Festival. Jonathan Majors is going to be a black amateur bodybuilder struggling to find human connection in this exploration of celebrity and violence. Haley Bennett, Harriet Sansom Harris, director Elijah Bynum of Hot Summer Nights. Uh, that was a Timothy Chalamet movie. Taylor Page also in this. This is one of the marquee movies of the festival where a lot of the cover art, a lot of the, you know, the previews Yeah, that's the one that's gotten this. a lot of, the, yeah, the most kind of publicity thus far. Right. But again, whenever you have a shirtless Jonathan Majors, it should get <laughs> the most of the publicity. That's why Creed 3 is going to make a zillion dollars as well. Uh, we also have Fair Play. An unexpected promotion at a cutthroat hedge fund pushes a young couple's relationship to the brink, threatening to unravel far more than their recent engagement. A lot of uh, young, you know, yes, more character actors that are Eddie Marzan, yeah. young, plucky, always going <laughs> to, you know, well, you know Eddie Marzan. <laughs> I, I don't be. I mean, maybe more. I was trying to find, figure out a nice, nice way to say more unknown. Uh, Phoebe Denever, excuse me, I should know this from Bridgerton being a super fan, uh, but she is incredible in Bridgerton, and here she is here. Alden Ehrenreich, who should have been the next big thing, maybe he still will be, uh, but he did a little movie called Solo that didn't exactly work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this could be in, intense, as most of the movies in this category are in the in the drama U.S. competition category, and I, I'm eagerly. I put this at number two for that reason. I think this one could be good. So these Direct- are all ones again that are available online. Yes, the, all the competition movies are going to be available online. Now, I probably should have done this off the top. You cannot buy the $300 pass anymore for ten movies and be able to secure your screenings on the ninth of January. So now we have to wait until the 12th of January to get individual tickets. So immediately when, when that comes available on the 12th of January, I'm going to try and buy a $20 ticket to those first two, no doubt about mm-hmm. it. And to this third one, I'll explain the rest of my strategy at the end, but shortcomings, shortcomings uh, from the actor, comedian, Randall Park, always be my maybe uh, the MCU who's just in WandaVision from fresh off the boat. Uh, Sonoya Mizuno, from House of the Dragon, Ex Machina Devs, Jacob Batalon, MCU Spider-Man films, there, the guy in the chair, Timothy Simons of Veep, Debbie Ryan. It's great a cast. it's a great cast, and I should have wrote down the premise. Why didn't I not do that? Well, let's it, just make one up right now on the spot. No, let's probably <laughs> not do that. I'll click on one link and Ben, a struggling filmmaker. Shortcomings is about men <laughs> under five foot ten, all master. No, go ahead. Just go easy on men under five foot ten, please. I'm under five. Well, look, uh, it's about Ben, a struggling filmmaker, lives in Berkeley, California, with his girlfriend Miko, who works for a local Asian American film festival. All right, cool. No wonder Sundance picked it. When he's mm-hmm. not managing an art house movie theater as his day job, Ben spends his time obsessing over unavailable blonde women, watching Criterion Collection DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> 
Did film Twitter write this? Did they get together and write this? <laughs> I was just going to say, this is us. This is and, our movie. <laughs> and eating in diners with his best friend. Yeah. Uh, oh, all right. I, I mean, make Clarks, and this you, is Mike, Mike, and Oscar. You had me at Ben, a struggling filmmaker, and then you did all that stuff. Uh-huh. Anyway, I am watching Shortcomings, Michael. Uh, easiest $20 I ever spent. <laughs> Sometimes I think about dying. This is an equally impressive, uh, uh, what do you call it here? Why can't I think of these words, Mike? What are these called? Premise. Cast? Thank you. Oh, Good premise. God. Yeah. Uh, equally, equally investing premise. Sometimes I think about dying is the name of the movie. Fran, who likes to think about dying, makes the new guy at work laugh, which leads to dating and more. Now the only thing standing in their way is Fran herself. This is a Daisy, Daisy Ridley vehicle. Nice to see Ray getting work still. Yes, uh, theater camp. Uh, the eccentric staff of a rundown theater camp in upstate New York, as they band together with the beloved founder's broy son to keep the camp afloat. Did we when write she, these movies? <laughs> when she falls into a coma right before the summer session is set to begin. I, there should have been a subject or a predicate in there. I didn't realize <laughs> either. Maybe I miswrote that. Director Molly Gordon, uh, actor actress from Booksmart and Good Boys. She's always funny. Uh, and Nick Lieberman. We have A.O. Etta Beery from The Bear. Uh, again, p- apologies, but she is awesome in The Bear. Ben Platt, Amy Sedaris, Patty Harrison, Jimmy Tatro. Yeah, the, the fact that Jimmy Tatro and Amy Sedaris are in this make it must-see for me, that type of a... Uh, I, I love their work, both of them. Little Richard, I Am Everything. Uh, obviously, this would, you know... <laughs> It's a little Richard movie. <laughs> it's a little Richard movie. Uh, we'll go fast. A Little Prayer, director of Junebug, starring da- David Strathairn. A lot of recognizable actors in that. Jemo uh, Jaya, Justin Chan's new movie, Run Rabbit Run, which is going to be an Australian horror movie. One of the few midnight sections available, starring Sarah Snook here about a scary kid, apparently. She's got a scary daughter. Uh, Kids we got, in general are terrifying. They are terrifying. We got Victim Suspect, which is a an intense documentary possibility here about young women telling the police they've been sexually assaulted, but instead of finding justice, they are charged with the crime of making a false report, arrested, arrested, and even imprisoned by the system they believed would protect them. This is a documentary on such. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, I don't know if that's, I, I, I've not done any, the legwork into Sundance yet but if that wasn't a documentary and that was a movie my take was going to be if you think that doesn't happen you're sorely mistaken so I'm yeah. glad it is a documentary but sadly Going Varsity and Mariachi is about high school mariachi co- competitions in South Texas uh, that that seems fun we got Iron Butterfly which is a, a Ukraine documentary uh, a multi-layered investigation into the downing of flight MH17. I, I saw another movie about this. I believe it was Klondike about that flight that went down and kind of started a, or accelerated a lot of this conflict. Anyway, Iron Butterflies uh, is is a documentary that I'm going to seek out. All road, all dirt roads taste of salt. Michael, this is Sheila Atim of the Woman King. Back to the narrative features, written and directed by Raven Jackson. A decade spanning exploration of a woman's life in Mississippi and an ode to the generations of people, places, and ineffable moments that shape us. That is such a Sundance premise. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get a little more about the story though? Anyway. Um, 
<laughs> How about you read a couple? I want to see this next one. Fancy Dance. Yeah. Of course you do. <laughs> Lily Gladstone <laughs> from Certain Women and Killers of the Flower Moon. It follows as a Native American hustler who kidnaps her niece from her white grandparents and sets out for the state powwow in the hopes of keeping what's left of their family intact. Eric, Erica Tremblay co-write and directing that one. And, and we also... And let me just say, Sundance is usually about discoveries, right? So... You, you're, the obvious titles, even though we're doing this segment, the obvious titles don't necessarily land. But last year when we had Cha-Cha Real Smooth with that phenomenal title, yes. that irresistible title, and then you read the premise and you're like, oh my God, yep. a bar mitzvah DJ, I have to see this movie. <laughs> and now, now you have a premise like this, a Native American hustler who kidnaps her niece. And uh, yeah, I mean, this that fancy dance sounds like the exact movie that you should immediately mm-hmm. jump at. I hope it's great. A Thousand and One is also playing Sundance based on an audacious and free-spirited Inus, 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 who convinced the necessary crime on the... Convinced? that It's got to be commits, right? It could be. I don't know. Who convinced the necessary crime on the path to redemption and kidnapped six-year-old Terry from the foster care system. So you just want to watch all these movies about people kidnapping other children because you hate kids? Is that where this is going? Barry Jenkins produced this one, not me, man. I, <laughs> you're blaming me. A thousand and one. I've heard a lot of buzz about it. I believe it's coming out in March, though. Like this may be one I wait upon because it's coming. It's hitting theaters in March. Uh, the Persian version, Michael. Great title great again. Name. Great name. This is actually Sony, so this is this is already has a major uh, studio behind it. Uh, when her family reunites in New York City uh, for her father's heart transplant, Layla navigates her relationships from arm's length in an effort to keep her real life separate from her family life. However, when her secret is unceremoniously revealed, so are the distinct parallels between her life and that of her mother, Shireen. Yeah, mm. I think we can all can relate to that <laughs> bad behavior the film is a dark comedy about lucy a former child actress who seeks enlightenment at a retreat led by a spiritual leader elon there's a name with a lot of baggage while she also <laughs> navigates the close yet turbulent relationship with her stunt performer daughter dylan jennifer conley in that ben wishaw as well uh it's a, it's a loaded mm. premise as well a couple back-to-back ones with uh, a lot of family issues going on between the characters and then to finish out here, we have Girl, which is a mother-daughter film, it seems, and uh, set in Glasgow. Glasgow. Uh, this is one of the international selections or world cinema categories where this comforting fairy tale-like origin story that Grace has been telling Emma for years, I guess the mother telling the daughter an origin story, is interrupted by flashbacks of her actual painful past. Uh, and their sheltered world begins to erode from the inside. So an intense mother-daughter drama there. And then look at you could go for the like the next section. And I've heard a lot of buzz for this movie called Fremont. Uh, so check that one out. Check out the premise. It's it's going to be more experimental that that next section uh, in many ways. And then you can go like in the I forget what section this is called. I be, not premieres. It's called. Oh, darn it. But Joyland, Liam Mencita is in there with the Penelope Cruz film. But this is all like last year's movies that they're kind of resurrecting. And Joyland's already Oscar shortlisted, Michael, about the uh, this romantic relationship in Palestine that's that caused waves over there. And I'm glad it really got the Oscars selection 
and uh, it's going to show a lot of uh, light on the the transgender love story. So, so all these movies are available for you, having already paid the price that you did. Well, I paid. So here's what I did. I bought the awards pass for 200 bucks. So Saturday and Sunday, I can watch four movies a day, eight movies total. So for for 200 bucks, so whatever, two, 25 bucks a movie. Not terrible in terms of a deal. I can make sure I see the award winners that I want to see, right? right? Then I also bought the World Cinema Package, which is a 12-movie pass for the January 24th through the 30th. So all seven or eight days whatever that is, I can now watch all 12 world cinema movies, including Bad Behavior and Girl uh, and a couple more that I think we previewed. Anyway, it looks, I, I, I totally go in for this. Some of the best movies I've seen at Sundance in recent years have been the world cinema category, have come from that category. Sure. Uh, Girl Picture from last year, yeah. uh, One for the Road two years ago. You know, we, we get some good movies in that category. Now, Half the the program, You Hurt My Feelings, the Nicole Hall of Center movie, Cat Person, Amelia Jones, and the uh, and the Nicholas Braun film, Cassandro, Gael Garcia Bernal, Eileen, which is supposed to be a major awards player from Thomason McKenzie. A lot of those films are, are only available in person at Sundance this year. They basically took half the Michael J. Fox documentary, half of the marquee name recognition movies and i think because they have to you can only see them in person because they're trying to get people back to the mountains to see the movies yeah but at the same time they're cutting off their nose to spite their face right i mean they're got to be that putting this stuff online has to have increased their revenue i i feel like based on reports that i've read and certainly based on the fact that they're even still doing it, it must have been successful over the right. last two years. And I would think. We also have an issue with this Sundance and the, fa- the fact that the $300 pass is sold out. Like, I was going to eventually buy one. I was going to begrudgingly buy one because you're overpaying it by, like, 100 bucks at least. Right. Right? And, again, I stubbornly pay out of pocket for these. We should have just did the... And they're never going to give us a credential now because we talk so much shit about it, but... I mean, look at we're coming from the consumer perspective, again, belligerently so, (laughs) idiots. And uh, again, I'm putting this flag into the ground ridiculously so. And here, (laughs) but I feel like I can help people. So what? That's what I did for 350 at the New York Film Festival. I probably spent a thousand bucks. So God, if I spend 500 bucks at this festival to do it online, that's not like the biggest deal. Again, I'm single. All right, uh, you've talked me you... into it. I'll spend $500 on the Stephen Adams over tonight. <laughs> Stephen Adams. <laughs> Stephen Adams, you're betting on the that Australian uh, monstrous... Uh, he's New Zealand, thank you. He is <laughs> the greatest center in New I Zealand history. I have been betting only Hornets games, rebounds, overs. <laughs> Jesus God. This is where I it's Con. It's James Con in a bathtub betting on minor league hockey. Uh-huh. You have completely lost it. The gambler. Nineteen yeah. seventies. Yeah. Things are going great here for me. <laughs> well, we did it. We made our huge comeback and we did nothing but meander. But I think we you know, we reviewed and previewed a lot there's, of things. Yeah, guess, there's right? some content definitely within the past ninety minutes of the show, without a doubt. I feel comfortable in saying there's at least a few minutes of real content. Here. I'm sorry. I didn't finish my Sundance thing. I'm, I'm going to buy another 10 movies 
for 200 bucks. What are you doing? <laughs> well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just telling you what I'm going to do. Most yeah, but, likely. I, look, I, I don't, I'm not even making fun. Like the, the amount of movies you get to and the amount of movies I don't is somehow what makes this work in some way. I have a problem. I need to, there's a void. Let me just say, there's a void in my life. No, but, I have to fill it. <laughs> you choose not to, you choose to augment it. <laughs> Exacerbate. There you with, go. The, with, that's going to be the name of my biography. Exacerbate the <laughs> void. The Mike one story. And I choose to fill it. At least what I think is filling it with these movie watching. Yeah, I've I've seen too many movies. I just can't stop. Won't stop. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Well, I understand you. Uh, that's why we have each other dear friend uh guys we have to wrap up in a quick manner here so as always what matters most to us are your thoughts what are the voids you have in your life and how are you feeling them? let us know that as well as your thoughts about a sundance any of the movies we reviewed here today we want to hear from you as well as do you like the idea of aaron taylor johnson being the new james bond you can leave us all that as well as any other thoughts comments questions or concerns you have about anything we do here in the mmo empire on our social medias we are mike mike and oscar on facebook and instagram at mm and oscar on twitter mike mike and oscar at gmail.com.com and on reddit we're available wherever you do hear podcasts if you're listening to us on either the apple podcast or spotify app if you appreciate what we do if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review those help us out immensely thank you to everyone who has done so thus far michael let's have some words of wisdom what's coming next and let's get out of here well it is wise to fill voids with movies (laughs) Uh, i will bang the table for that it is uh it's also wise to talk circles around each other in Mm -hmm. uh in, in movie review and preview segments. This was a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know if it was wise, but it, it, it was fun. Let's put but it, it happened. Words of fun today. <laughs> it happened. Uh, what's coming next? I don't exactly know what we're doing the rest of this week because our schedules are obviously um, getting crazy, but I am excited that we have the Golden Globes to react to. We have the Critics' Choice to react to. We have SAG nominations to react to. We had booked two guests uh, one of which where we may have an issue, damn it, or yeah. not. I don't know. I'm, if you see, if you listen to a solo episode with me and a guest, that would be why. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited to talk to the people that we got coming down the pike. We got all other, a lot of other ideas. But it is the season, Mike. We're really going to get into it now. We got nonstop content to react to essentially going forward. Yeah, there, there is that. I mean, this is it is the season is right, even though the holidays are in the rear view. But yeah, it's the uh, the season for MMO. So be sure to stay tuned with us, uh, mm-hmm. guys. As always, when reality sucks, you can exacerbate the void with us. <laughs> we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya.